This is the Business of Apps podcast, bringing you actionable insights from the leaders of the global app industry and the world's fastest growing apps. You can find more app news, data and analysis over at businessofapps.com. Welcome to the Business of Apps podcast. On this show, we invite app industry professionals to cover various topics and we promise to do our best to keep it both insightful but brief. In this episode, we have Jonathan Maxim, CEO at PayPal. Jonathan, welcome to the Business of Us podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Art. Terrific. Thank you for coming. All right. Go viral. How many times have you heard this catchy phrase? I bet a lot. No doubts. Every app marketer would love her or his app marketing campaign go viral. After all, an app marketing budget quite often isn't that impressive. And getting your potential users' attention, spending less money as people themselves spreading the message about your app is pure gold. Now, how do you make your app social media campaign go viral? Today, we have Jonathan to help us to answer this question. But first, before anything else, Jonathan, please tell us about yourself. Absolutely. And what an interesting question. Yeah, so my name is Jonathan Maxim. I'm a a former marketing strategist at a large company. I left to found my first mobile app in 2014. It was a fitness app that gives you rewards for working out. And rewards, I think, is going to be a, a narrative we see throughout this conversation, especially when we talk about going viral. But anyway, uh, I founded that app in 2014 and sold it in 2017. And then uh, went full-time to become a growth marketer. Opened up a, a growth hacking shop uh, that now has 29 people. And just this past year, came to work with PayPal. Miles Hyder is the CEO in June of last year. And um, we launched in July. And we just crossed the million downloads mark. And it's been an awesome ride. We had some viral moments with PayPal, no doubt. Um, so I'll be excited to share about some of those. So yeah, that's kind of the vantage point I come from. I'm based in Los Angeles and have two lovely dogs. Yeah, that's a nice summary, Jonathan. Congrats with the first million. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it was a big, big landmark. <laughs> As yeah. an entrepreneur, the landmarks you think they're going to feel a lot better than they do, but <laughs> it's just another absolutely. day in business, to be honest. But um, well, hopefully, well, absolutely, hopefully, that's not going to be the last million. It's just the beginning. Uh, your first audience, the first million. Uh, yep. Yep. So, tell me about the company. What is PayPal? Is it any any affiliation to PayPal? No, no affiliation to, to PayPal, um, although I think we gained some, some good runoff benefit from that. So PayPal is the social language learning platform. Um, so think of it like Facebook for language learning. You can translate messages or posts in real time. So, you know, Art, if you post a picture of, hey, look, I'm in Paris, here's my copy, you can translate it to French on the spot. Or you can post it in English and I can translate it to French. Um, and then when I, you know, start a conversation with you, I can, you know, translate the messages you send or the messages that I send. So it makes it really easy to speak with somebody from another country if you're trying to learn a language. The whole idea is to fill the gap between curriculum learning and practice, right? So in the middle, there's the social practice, right? So that's really where we fit in. And uh, I think people have taken to it nicely. We just rolled out our, our V2 version in... Um, I guess it would be February mm -hmm. where we have, well, it, it will give you conversation starters or it can help you practice vocabulary with your new friend. So I could, it has a feature called Pen Pal that allows you to match with study buddies. So you can find 
somebody, let's just say you have a trip planned to Columbia, you can find a study buddy there and start conversations with them prior to your visit and, you know, potentially meet up if you guys become friends. So um, it's, it's really, you know, the social glue on the language learning space. And I think, you know, given today's uh, the world is flattening out, you know, it's becoming yeah. more of a global marketplace. I think this is a good time for it, um, especially as influencers come to, to build new audiences and, and want to expand into languages that they don't, them or their audiences don't speak. Right. I think Duolingo has proven the idea that uh, learning language, by example, is pretty awesome. And we adding the social component of people helping each other. And, you know, there's interaction, socialization between you know, groups of people living in other countries. That's awesome. Speaking of countries, what countries do you support at the moment? We support them all, which is probably our biggest Achilles heel in a way. It's the biggest blessing and the biggest downfall in a way, because we all, every day somebody's saying, hey, you know, you're not representing this language in this country. Um, there's a lot of countries and there are a lot of languages. But, you know, whenever we find that we're, you know, not present in a certain area, we will add it. We'll add the language capability and stuff. So it's really quite global. Got it. So I think it's everything, every country except Antarctica, unless you guys support <laughs> Not yet, but okay, it's on the roadmap, as they say. Right. Okay, so by now, social media marketing is a kind of a part and parcel of the digital marketing overall. But how would you define what a social media campaign today? What components should go in, and the most important, what kind of what kind of KPIs should you measure for every campaign you're running? That's a smart question. And I love talking to somebody who knows about this stuff because it's the questions become so, so gripping in a way. But um, my, my perspective is that historically, social media was about organic, right? So just regular people posting, connecting, you know, the trust factor, the testimonial factor, you getting recommendations from a friend. And then we moved pretty heavily toward paid advertising. And that's really how a lot of companies scale fast. And I think today, social media is, it's more than just organic marketing and it's more than just paid social. Today, it's the two play nice together. I think, you know, whenever somebody asks me what growth hacking is, I tell them it's, it's worth the paid and organic meat, but which also fits into a more omnipresent overall marketing strategy. So I think social media is one component of the marketing strategy to make things go viral. So nowadays, you know, when I think about a social media campaign, the, the most important part is that we're creating trust, right? We're getting real humans to use it. Generally, this is how the two meet. We often have influencers create videos, and then we use those videos for ads rather than doing some corporate commercial. The ads that have an influencer or a real human in them, they convert better, they have better click-through rate, better conversion rate, even though they cost less and the production quality is lower. They look like something that was filmed in someone's living room. And in fact, it was, right? So that's one of the techniques. So oftentimes, like if we have a an influencer post, let's just say an Instagram reel, and it gets, you know, a hundred thousand views on it, and then we turn it into an ad, by the time we're done, like we have one video that is an organic selfie video that has five million views on it because we amplified that with advertising. So that's really how I look at a social media campaign. It's creating authentic content, getting real testimonials and credibility from the creators and really getting something that they like and stand behind. Like when we interview an influencer, we say, 
are you learning a new language? Because if not, then you're not a fit for the platform. Some musicians and artists wanted to come on the platform, but they weren't learning languages. And we're like, well, you know, with all due respect, like we want people who are here to learn a language. So we really make sure that they're emphatic and excited about this, you know, this new pursuit, this learning pursuit. And there's an, a, a benevolent component to that, right? Like we really like the fact that learning languages helps the world in a lot of ways. People who learn a new language earn on average a uh, 30% more salary. So anyway, all to say a social media campaign, it's become like a flywheel, right? There's multiple aspects to it and you have to take them all into consideration because just growing organically is not even a consideration anymore. You can't just do a, a, a one directional campaign for organic growth and expect it to go viral. Although there are techniques, it's not as sustainable. Right. I totally agree that even though you may be tempted to, you know, approach any particular influencer and just trying to, you know, let's trying to propose, let's just you know, kind of a game the system and pretend like you're trying to learn the language, but that would be a disaster. If this is not <laughs> happening naturally, it's it's not worth it. Just consider how many influencers are there you can work with. And there's always a situation when they, you know, for real would like to learn a new language and the messaging will be so natural, will be perceived so nicely by the followers. And just getting back real quick to the KPIs, uh, just um, from the top of your head, what would you say of, you know, two, three KPIs who would like to, you know, be on the list for uh, app marketers when they run the social media campaign and what do they measure actually? The app industry is vast. To navigate this space, you need a directory to look up suppliers and partners, and you need to know who are the best. Visit our marketplace directory at businessofapps.com slash marketplace slash podcast. And now back to the show. Yeah, great remark. And it looks like I missed that before, but the KPIs that I think we should always be looking at, you know, we should have three to five management KPIs and not really see much else than that. Uh, the media buyers and the people lower and the further downstream can manage all the different KPIs. But for me, again, the old, old app marketing is just shooting for conversions, bottom of funnel, pushing as hard as we can to get downloads. Now we need the full funnel, right? Things have become much more competitive, especially on social media ads and so on. So the KPIs that I'm looking at are reach at the top of the funnel. Um, I know it's, you know, a lot of people consider it a vanity metric, but we have to get out there. We have to get seen. And the transparency and metrics, like a social media post that has 5 million views on it, that creates a lot of validation. So people definitely trust and, and click more when they you know, see that millions of people have already seen it. So reach, click-through rate always. Click-through rate is the, is the main measure of the quality of creative, right? How strong is your offer? How strong is your call to action? How strong are the visuals? How catchy is it? How good is the hook, the first three seconds of the video or the first slide of a carousel? The click-through rate is a very determinant factor, and that's there's a whole department that is their one thing is click-through rate. That's their one metric on how they're they're measured, right? So their performance bonuses and stuff like that come off of how the click-through rate is on their creative. Very very important to us. And then I'm going to say four instead of three, if you'll if you'll let me. The cost per install, right? Cost per install. You know whether you're running organic or paid, there's always a cost per install. You're either doing the, the, the work with human muscle, right? Like there's human resources and hours going to it or you're paying advertising. So 
there's always a cost per install and understanding that and, and being candid with yourself that downloads are not free. They'll never be free. You can have stuff go viral and you can have very cheap downloads, but it's never going to be free. So understanding the the cost per install on a geographic basis is, is very critical because one of the techniques we use to go viral is we will run a global campaign with smaller countries that are easier to outrank in the app store. So upon launch, PayPal is ranked top 10 in 30 different countries. So that virality of you know ranking at the top of the app stores not only got us a ton of free downloads, free because we were still paying for marketing, but it brought our cost per install down from like $9 to $1. And in some areas, you know, the installs are coming for like 30 cents each or less. About 33% of our downloads during the launch came from people app store search and app store browse. So ranking high, having that organic, the ASO, SEO type of stuff going on, it really dilutes the cost per install, brings down your costs overall. So that's, that's a huge focus and understanding by region. You know, if you can have an app that you can run internationally, there's no reason that you shouldn't, right? There's still real humans downloading it. They're still engaging. Oftentimes in developing countries, people are more engaged on social media, especially like for an app like ours, or, you know, if they're learning a new language, you know, they're in like Europe where a lot of countries are nearby each other. It, it, it's a great market for something like that. I think a lot of people kind of uh, don't know why they don't want to target certain regions, but if you can grow the platform, if that's your goal, or if you can grow revenue, you should. Um, so always looking at the cost per install by region. And then of course, the fourth metric and everything is in relation to each other, right? Like the click-through rate and the, uh, well, of course, like the click-through rate, conversion rate, CPM, all those type of things. But really the click-through rate relates to the cost per install, which relates to retention, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I think historically we used to look at D1, D7, D30 retention. Those are still very important. I'm still looking at those all the time. But the most important metric in my mind is not monthly actives, but active users, period, right? And I know recently a lot of us have been looking at uh, DAU versus MAU. So how many of our active user base uses it on a daily basis? I mean, it used to be MAU, I think. And so now that we're looking at our total active users, it's a, it's a very honest metric, right? You can't fake it. <laughs> this is the total number of people who use your app and actually like it. So whenever I'm looking at like, let's just say a social media campaign, let's maybe we have like four different ad sets that are running and they're scaled, or we have, you know, an organic campaign and a paid campaign running. I'm looking at which audiences have which click-through rates, which cost per install, and how engaged are they? Which features are they using? Are they using the translate? Are they using the messaging features, the pen pal? So it, it really, ultimately, everything comes back to the goal of the company, right? If the, if the goal is just viral growth, then, you know, whoever spends the most time in the app, you know, average engaged session time and, you know, cost per user going down as much as possible. But a lot of businesses like PayPal, um, they make money. PayPal has a premium subscription. So, I want people who are sending a lot of messages because that's one way you, when you upgrade, you can get unlimited messaging. So unlimited messaging, unlimited new chats, unlimited swipes on pen pal. Those are the KPIs that I'm looking at in relation to the cost per acquisition and all of those other metrics I talked about, because at the end of the day, I'm eventually going to need to convert those users to paid users in order to make the platform capitalized and profitable and things like that. 
Got you, Johnson. I particularly like that you mentioned the, the inter- going international because for the apps like yours, which provide uh, you know, the value to people who may not, you know, just afford the more expensive apps, but they still need to learn language because you know the world is big, and you really should pay attention to you know the corners of the world that are not covered by apps that create this you know North America and Europe. And you can still reach out those those regions and find your customer there. It's just a you know matter of perspective and how well you can spot the pockets of the you know uh, potential users for your app in different regions of the world. And uh, now let's switch to the notion of going viral because it's kind of a mantra for every digital marketer around the globe. And so, how would you? How would you define the moment when the social media campaign actually going viral? Hockey stick growth, you know, as soon as things start going parabolic or exponential, you know, really, I think there's degrees of virality. Everyone like likes to think that, oh, like this is viral because it's got, you know, a million, a million views on it or something like that. Really, you should define what viral is to yourself uh, and decide how you want to achieve that. It's just, you know, it's just one of the metrics that you would use to, to gauge success. So for me, going viral is when, you know, the cost per acquisition drops exponentially, right? But the way we see it is how much free reach and how many free downloads are we getting? How many people are sharing it on their own and doing our marketing for us? And that brings in the most important thing, which is why influencers have become such a, a pivotal piece of everything we do today because everything is based on their testimonial. Everything is based on a friend's recommendation. You know, if you, Art is to recommend to me, like, hey, you should get this podcasting microphone. I mean, who am I going to trust more than, than you? Or right. if you, you know, want to talk to me about SEO marketing and ASO and apps, I mean, I know I can trust you about it. You know, the, the podcaster that I listened to for like five years, Tim Ferriss, if he recommends podcasting equipment or anything he recommends, I buy it. I'm a fanboy at this point, right? So the validation from influencers is really what, whether it's influencers or friends like nano influencers, micro influencers, or macro influencers, their validation is typically what makes things go viral. So that's why we use user generated content. That's why we have them create posts. And then we promote those posts. We boost them as they say, because everything is all sales and opt-ins happen on a recommendation. You know, I've seen sales pages that are, hundred testimonial videos and call to action. They might have zero content. You know, all the fitness products are like that. A thousand before after pictures and then yeah. So because of the one person recommending to another aspect of, you know, that's how buzz is created and that's how referrals are done. Referrals, everything comes into the picture. Referral campaigns, giveaways, sweepstakes, any kind of coupon codes, offers, etc. that help people share it is a huge aspect of going viral. So all of the additional reach that you get from referral campaigns or giveaways or anything that involves social validation, social momentum, that's how I define virality, but that's also how you go viral. Right, and I would say there's no clear cut one definition of what is going viral in terms of numbers. Yeah, you may look at the apps, you know, the size of, um, I don't know, Slack or TikTok, their virality, but this is just an inspiration for your particular case, for your app, the metrics, the actual signals that app is going viral will be unique. And um, yeah, absolutely. You'll be seeing that your uh, 
costs are going down while your uh, app is going up, but the number of downloads you're getting will be, you know, completely unique for your app because this is a completely different market, completely different number of users potentially sitting out there just uh, waiting for your app to arrive to the app store so they can grab it. Now, well, everybody does mistakes. Are there any mistakes in social media marketing and running campaigns that you would like just people stop doing? That's so funny you asked that. I was just thinking about the pitfalls of virality right now. And I was gonna hoping you would give me a chance to to pepper that in because yeah, yeah, I think a lot of let's people pepper it before the mistakes. Sure, absolutely. Well, yeah, I mean that's a mistake that a lot of people make is that they go viral and they don't realize what the implications are. So let me just outline the common mistakes of, of virality. First, people are, don't know what they're going for. Are we going for reach or are we going for downloads or are we going for sales or are we just trying to spread a message, right? So those four different kinds of virality are all different. So if you just shoot to go viral, you might get a ton of views on a video, but get no conversions, right? How valuable is that? I mean, in the, in the short term, definitely not that valuable. So a lot of people, will this is a mistake that you know i've certainly made myself and there's a whole list of mistakes that i've made that i could share on i think those we we remember negative events more poignantly than positive events that's where we learn the most so i'm quite proud of them but when it comes to virality if you run a campaign that has a strong incentive for action the stronger that incentive for action is the more of a drop off you have after. So a lot of times people will have an app, you know, get 10, 100, you know, a million downloads and in a, in a very short time frame, and then all those users will fall off. Your retention will basically be zero. And so oftentimes that does more damage than it does good because your first impression with these million users is now wasted away. So when we think about a common mistake, especially with virality and the, the glamorization of virality, we have to have the follow through. So you either have to have a CRM marketing sequence, push notifications, in-app experience that guides people through their first 30 days. Like with PayPal, we have 30 days of SMS, 30 days of push notifications, and 30 days of in-app notifications. And we're going to build that out bigger and bigger. So new people who join the platform, immediately we engage them. Hey, post a picture of your dog in the new language. Right. So post a picture of your dog in, in Spanish. You know, what's your favorite food in the country that you're from? Post it in French or whatever. So we're teaching them how to use the app, engaging them after the fact, et cetera. But we only learn things like that after we've made that mistake, right? Like the first time I had my app go viral in 2015, the the fitness app that I had. I mean, we got back back in the day, fifteen thousand users in a day was a lot. We got fifteen thousand users from a, a Twitter campaign that got retweeted a lot, and basically all those users fell off. Contrast that with the people who were coming through. I was a writer for Mind Body Green at the time. We would get two thousand downloads a day from Mind Body Green, and those users were super high quality because they were coming off. That's a very trusted website, very good reputation, very engaged readers. So the value of those downloads versus the ones who came through a viral Twitter campaign, very different. So that's, I think, just a common mistake that maybe more amateur marketers glamorize virality or you know, if it's a client, they will ask you for something like that. So you have to be really careful there. But at the end of the day, you just don't want to waste your effort. You, know? you don't want to dump a lot of muscle into a campaign that just you know, the users fall off and disappear. 
Yeah, absolutely. Your head is spinning as you see a thousand and thousand people are grabbing your app and you may lose the fact that the actual, you know, the name of the game is retention and profitability of your project. You're going to you know, regret in a few weeks that you run paying more attention to who are actually getting your app. And what I'm going to do in 30 days when you realize that, you know, the bulk of these people are just gone you know, for good for another app. And uh, yeah, that's that would be a really hard moment for you to reconcile. Now, what do you say about the elephant in the room, the TikTok, and it's the the story of its success overall? Do you see it as a positive, negative, probably kind of a net positive or net negative force on the societal level? Because at this point, it's really hard to think of anything, um, any topic, any politics, sport, music, whatever. That is not covered by TikTok. So, how would you personally like the company to develop further? Any wishes in that regard? That's a loaded question, Art. Oh yeah. So, you know, I worked with TikTok for two years in 2019. I led their growth marketing in Brazil, US, UK, Russia, oh. Ireland, and a little bit in the Thailand area. At the time, you know, I was working with the team out of Beijing and they had some offices here in LA that they were building, but I got to see inside of how the company thought, how their algorithm worked, how the marketers think. And I mean, they are a different level of rigor coming out of China. They, they work really hard. There is no PowerPoint presentation to everything is in spreadsheets. It's just a numbers game. And so, you know, that forces us to hit targets and to really perform or don't and you're gone. You know, at the time, TikTok had just gotten in trouble for marketing to the youth. And that's when like the Tide Pods, people eating Tide Pods on pizza, like that kind of stuff was happening. And then underage people were using the app without their parents' permission. And then people were accusing China of spying on people through the app. Now, they did have a lawsuit where they got caught leaving the camera on when people were not using the app, which I thought was very offensive. I thought that was very wrong what they did. And then I came to find out that Instagram and Facebook had both had the same charges against them. So I was like, okay, well, I mean, nobody's an angel here. That's for sure. So at the time I definitely had mixed feelings about it. And I also questioned, you know, how valuable are dance videos to our society? Since then, they, the algorithm, obviously extremely powerful. I think everyone's gotten you know, stuck in a TikTok black hole and, you know, watched tons of videos in one sitting. But their algorithm is very powerful. Assuming their intentions are good, it's a good thing, right? People are seeing more content that's relevant. Therefore, they're learning more and they're, they're gaining more value, hopefully. But the type of content being served up on TikTok has come a long way. It's not just dance videos anymore. You know, my friend who's a lawyer is a TikTok influencer. We've got people doing business tips. We've got a lot of cool real estate videos. So it's expanded. I think they did what Vine never could do. And, and even Instagram and Reels like are cool, but they're copying TikTok. TikTok is the one who got it right. They got short form video right. And so I think they've done a really good job and they've managed to communicate those tools back to the users. So editing a one minute video down into seven or 15 seconds used to be really difficult. Now you can select five videos and TikTok will drop them according to the music and, and literally create a cool real style or TikTok style video for you in like 30 seconds. So they've done a really good job of democratizing video editing. And I don't think they get enough credit for that. 
whether they have good or bad intentions behind the scenes and whether there's political drivers, that's hard for me to say. I don't know if I want to speak on that publicly, but I don't see a whole lot of difference between TikTok and Instagram and you know Twitter and you know, all these other platforms. They all have access to all of your data. They all have access to your camera, your microphone. Those ads are curated. So I don't know if I could could speak on that, but you know the the recent impact does look positive, and you know I hope it helps more creators become successful. Jonathan, well, uh, totally. Let's stay out of the politics here, uh, because to me, the story with the uh, acquiring the company by Oracle is still kind of a mystery, kind of a you know flip mm-hmm. in the history. It didn't happen. Nobody knows when it's going to happen. Probably not, but. Who knows? One number sticks to me, which I've seen recently in 2021, 9.6 trillion minutes people spend on Netflix and like three times more on TikTok. Wow. 24 plus something trillion minutes were spent on TikTok uh, last year. So it's like three, four times more than Netflix. And you don't pay anything for the content creation. (laughs) This is... Like the whole content created by people for free, and uh, yeah, that's the that shows you the level of growth and how much attention TikTok is actually you know pulling on its side from other you know time killers. As we have, you know, Brad Hastings used to say that there were only three enemy for the um, Netflix: YouTube, Facebook, and sleep. <laughs> so wow. yeah, now it looks like the TikTok is grabbing that position of pushing. Uh, Netflix in terms of you know how much time people are spending on a daily basis for something entertaining, fun, and it's totally understandable. Uh, the things that people are doing on TikTok are just amazing how creative they are. All right, we've covered the major topic on, topic on the table of today, and uh, there are just a few quick questions. I'm always asking the second part of the show every guest on this podcast, just a quick ones. So. What smartphone do you have now? Have you been switching between these two Titans, uh, Android and iOS? Uh, I use a, an iPhone. I love it. It's an iPhone 13 Pro Max. I'm an Apple fanboy, mainly because I like the ecosystem. But I do have an Android, and I test on it every day for HeyPal. It's gotten a lot better. I can definitely say yeah. that. So I can put one more person, one more guest to the iOS bucket. Yep. Okay. What was your first mobile phone, you know, from that era before smartphones? First mobile phone you could carry in your pocket. My sister had a, it must have been like a five pound. It was like one big battery and it had an antenna on it. And then the bottom was like a little flip where the microphone was. So like turned into a full phone (laughs) and it was pay as you go. So I, I remember showing off to my friends. I think I was like 14 or 15 when she gave it to me. And I don't know what phone it was. It was before the Nokia. Like it was, it was old school. Oh, really I don't know if I ever made a phone call on it. I think it was just to show off. Yeah, probably it was even good for self defense. Um, <laughs> Paperweight. So right. So um, uh, let's get back to uh, present. Uh, imagine right now uh, you left your home, and for whatever reason you you left your smartphone sitting on your ta- you know uh, table next to your bed. What would be the most missing feature for you when you're out? I think the voice notes feature. I think voice notes, especially when you're managing a big team, if you're driving, obviously it's not safe to text. Uh, sending voice notes, 
actually when I worked at Comcast, the the CEO would send a voicemail to everyone's mailbox. And I mm. thought that was a really cool way to get a meeting done without having a meeting, right? You have yeah. two, three minutes of, of message you need to send and, and you don't have to type. That way you don't have to be looking down at your phone. You can still be up and moving. So I, I think the voice note feature is, is really, really amazing. All right. So now I believe like as much as you like your current model of the iPhone, probably there's something missing in your opinion. Could be hardware, software, not necessarily more, probably less, you know, probably, you know, getting a you know, better balance between the using app and using the phone and not using it. So what would be that thing that you'd like the uh, your iPhone 13 Pro to get to become a better tool for you? Well, the more I study the super successful people, the the more I see that they are not, their technology does not own them. A lot of them don't let their kids have smartphones. A lot of them don't use their smartphone much themselves. I'm big on meditation and mindfulness and being focused on what you're doing in that moment. So I actually, uh, I think it's a good test of management skills to delegate and trust rather than actively overmanage or micromanage. So just in general, using fewer apps on your phone, right? Messaging and calling, all your subordinates should be able to do the rest of the technical stuff. So that's, it, it's a weird you know, place to draw the line, but I think it's a, it's a pursuit for me. I think forget who one of my friend's coaches said, I want you to manage your work just from your phone today. Don't get to get on the computer. Don't get to, you know, have all of these robust technology. You're going to have to delegate everything. So uh, in order to buy our time and our happiness and our focus back, I think it's a good practice to delegate to a point where you can just do it all from the phone. You just tell somebody what to do and you get back to doing what makes you happy. Yeah, absolutely. And in this case, if you can pull it off, you're, you will not have to get your life back because you'll never lose it. That's really exactly. smart. Now, before I let you go, just very final question. How can people get in touch with you and get more information about what you do? Well, I mean, first, I use the PayPal app every day. So download it. Happy to chat with you in Spanish. I'm learning Spanish. If that's not your vibe, then you can follow at it's J Maxim, ITSJ Maxim on Instagram. Or I have a podcast as well called Zen Business that studies executives who meditate. So if you're interested in that. Okay, that's cool. Awesome. Thank you for your time and coming on our, on our podcast, Jonathan. Thank you. All right. Much appreciate you. Wonderful questions. Wonderful host. Thank you so much for having me. Terrific. Thank you, Jonathan. And that was Jonathan Maxim, CEO at PayPal. To listen to more episodes, subscribe to our podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts. Basically, just search for Business of Apps and you will find us easily. We release episodes on Mondays, so subscribe and you will be able to get new episodes on your smartphone, tablet or computer as soon as we release them. And please don't forget to leave us a review and comment on iTunes. It is highly appreciated. And all episodes will also be available on businessofapps.com. Thank you for listening. See you next week. Thank you for listening to the Business of Apps podcast. For more, head on over to businessofapps.com.